0: Today, um, I'm excited to announce we're starting a new series. We're going to be walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. I'm really um, excited about this. Um, it's been a while since we've been, probably 1st first, first of November, we finished Sermon on the Mount. This is the first time we've been going, going verse by verse through a passage of the Bible. And so that's usually about 70% of what we try to do as a church is go through uh, books of the Bible, verse by verse, passage by passage. And that's what we're about to do, jump into 1 Corinthians and I'm going to read our text for today. But I want to mention something uh, coming, coming out of last week's sermon. I know last week's uh, sermon, it was, it was heavy. If you weren't here, we talked about the sanctity of life, protecting the unborn. We talked about um, abortion. And I just want to make sure it's clear before we move on from that, that we want to talk to you and we want to help you if you've been a part of an abortion in any way. Like we want this to be a safe place where you can come talk to people and wrestle with things and process through uh, pain and guilt, shame, whatever it is. We want this to be a place of healing and a place where you can do that. So I just want to throw a couple of uh, pieces of information up here. Um, the first one there is uh, my wife's um, email address, uh, Nicole Hager, Nicole at And she is the Women's um, Development Coordinator Director here. And if you email her, um, she will find a person you can talk to. She can find a person you can talk to. If you have any questions, if you just want to talk to somebody, we have people in the church who can help you. Um, and then also that's our church number, um, and it'll probably go to Voicemail. It's a Google Voice. So if you um, so call that number and leave a voicemail saying, "I'd like to talk to somebody." and we'll put you in touch with someone who can just sit down. Judgment-free zone and just process with you what has happened. So I just want to make sure you um, have those two pieces of information. Take a picture of the screens if you need that. Write them down, whatever it is. And please don't hesitate to um, yeah to talk to somebody about this. We really want you to do that. So let me read the text for today. We'll pray and then we're going to jump in. First Corinthians chapter one. We're going through verse nine today. Paul, called by the will of God, to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all those in every place, call upon the name of of our Lord Jesus Christ, both in their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as always, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you've revealed yourself you've spoken to us in your word. Anytime we want to, to know you or see what your will is and, and, and that you've revealed yourself, we can go to your word. And we're th- so thankful for that. And we're thankful for this book called First Corinthians that we're going to start going through. And we thank you just for, um, in your sovereignty, having Paul write this message to um, this church that was dealing with a lot, a lot that we can learn from, about how the church functions, our role in the church, Um, Grace, mercy, peace, all of those things are in this letter. And I pray that uh, we can be encouraged by it as we go through it, that you'll change our minds and change our hearts and change the way we live um, in light of um, your word and you revealing yourself um, to us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Growing up, I'm in the 90s, there was a show um, called the Jerry Springer Show. And those of you who grew up uh, around the time I did, you'll maybe remember the Jerry Springer show. And I never watched it. This is all other people telling me what was on this show. Um, But if you remember the show, this was was just, it was kind of the first of its kind. It was kind of this deal where he just started, he figured out one time after a couple of years, it was a normal talk show. And then he he decided one time he had this weird case on there, highest rated show ever. So he said, "Okay, this is what we're going to do for the next 20 years or however it's on, because this works with ratings. So he just puts situations, crazy situations, finds people on the show, brings them on and just says, hey, y'all just do what y'all do, talk about what you need to talk about, and we're just going to film it, and we're going to show it live to millions of people and let people just observe this train wreck. And it worked, right? I mean, I, there was one I was looking back this week at the, high, the top shows of Jerry Springer. Gosh, I don't know why I wasted my life doing that. But um, there was this one that was um, a guy married a horse, legitimately brought a, a a minister on and he married a horse on live television. Like that gives you a little taste. Those of you who are maybe younger in the room, if you didn't know what the show is about and, and, and really this whole reality TV craze now, a lot of it was borrowed from shows like this, right? We'll just throw anything on the TV. That's a train wreck. And for some reason people want to watch this thing happen. And you can name a lot, a lot of shows that I think fit into this, this, uh, this dynamic. And I think the question is, why do, we, why do we like to watch those? And I think a lot of that is like we can maybe make—it feels—we feel better about our lives if we can look at somebody else's situation and be like, that is nuts. I'm glad I'm not there. Um, but today, we're going to look at this church, this church in, in First Corinthians, really for the next several months. And this church was a train wreck. Like if this was a—if if, if the Jerry Springer show was a church, it would have been First Corinthians. And I'll just say this, that those of you in the room maybe who are new to church or maybe this is your first time in church for a while, maybe you have this image that church is full of just moral people who don't do things wrong and they're too good maybe they're they're they just they don't they don't they can't you can't relate to them and i assure you that's not true but hopefully you'll see in the bible one of these churches that paul planted just want you to listen to some of the absolute mess that was happening in this church we're going to touch on all of these at some point in um our time going through this um and so here's a list here's some here's some things um there was some, um, there was entitled this, this snobbery in the church, and they were choosing um, which leaders of the church to follow. We'll see that early on in the light. like one faction would follow this guy named Apollos, and one would follow this guy named Peter. One would follow Paul, and they were all kind of these 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 cliques and these these fan boys and girls looking up at this these religious leaders, and not really there was lack of unity. They weren't making Jesus the main thing. They were saying this guy's awesome. This guy's a great teacher. This guy is a great leader. We're going to follow him. And so there are these tribes and factions that begin to form around these leaders of the church. They would go from church to church and apostle to apostle, talking about and finding their identity in who they were getting teaching from and hearing from in that particular season. They were taking each other to court. Instead of handling matters inside the church, they were going to court. They were quickly running outside of the church to ha- have matters handled by um, the, the courts and, and, and the secular courts like everyone else. Would. Instead of starting with trying to work things out as a unified family. Um, in, in this particular city in Corinth, it was a popular practice uh, for men, even married men, to visit um, the, the, the temple of, of Aphrodite where you could make an offering um, to this fertility goddess Aphrodite by sleeping with prostitutes. And it was a common occurrence and like just kind of okay for married men to go do this. It was an accepted practice in the city. And there's some evidence by historians that some of the, the, the Christians were getting caught up into this because they were in this city. Um, there was um, one man living in an incestual relationship with his mom. In the, in the book that we're going to find out, um, I mean, this stuff is broken. Paul spends a lot of time talking about sexual immorality. So it, 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 you gather from it that there was some major, major issues involving sexual immorality going on in this church. Um, they were getting drunk on um, communion wine. in um, the church They were coming. They were celebrating communion. But they were drinking it all before their worship service started and just getting drunk on it. That was another thing they were doing. They were disrespecting the teachers and the preachers when they were teaching um, up front. They were questioning the resurrection, the kind of the heartbeat and foundation of the faith. So all of this was happening in this church that Paul had planted. This is a messy, messy church. Um, but here's the deal. most of these um, people or I should say all of these people in this church were five years old or less in the faith because Paul, this church when he was writing the letter, was five years old and Paul planted the church in Corinth on one of his missionary journeys, and he planted a church in a city that didn't have churches. So if it's five years old, that means all the Christians in the church were five years years old or less in their faith. They're coming out of this large cultural center city with a lot of influence, a lot of temptation, a lot going on around them. And they were struggling. They were struggling to figure out how to walk with Jesus. The majority of them were new Christians. Like I said, this was a, a large, large city in the Roman Empire. It was a large city even in uh, the Greek um, Empire. And then it was destroyed. Rome came in when they took over and rebuilt it as a Roman city. But it was on a port on the Mediterranean, very strategic for commerce. Um, it was, it was uh, a, an entertainment hub. And if you just have in mind our day and age, think of a cross between Los Angeles and Las Vegas. Okay, so you have the, 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 the hub um, of entertainment of a beautiful people you're also close to the coast large massive cities and this is the church that paul planted and is growing up so he's writing this letter um, to address some issues okay now this comes the only the other time you you pick up on corinth is in acts 18 acts 18 paul's on one of his missionary journeys and he spends a time in corinth and you can read about that in acts 18 we'll read about that here a little bit here in a second um but Paul, when he gets to Corinth, it, usually his usual practice, he goes and he starts preaching and teaching in the synagogue. But He's a, a Jew by birth. He's well-versed in the law. He knows the kind of people that are in the synagogue. So his missionary strategy is always to go to the synagogue first, start preaching the gospel there to try to have people believe, get some um, momentum going to see his church planted. Okay? So he knew the synagogue folk really, really well. But in this particular case, as it happened in other cities, the Jews didn't respond well to Paul. Paul started preaching, you'll see in Acts, in Acts 18, and they basically told him to get lost. Get out of here. We don't want to hear it. What's not a good response? So he, he shakes the dust off his feet, in a sense, wipes his hand clean, and says, okay, I'm going to go across the street. I'm going to go next door to this, this guy's house named Titius Justus, And in the scriptures call him a worshiper of God. His house is probably next door to the synagogue, maybe across the street. And evidently, this was a hub of Gentile activity. Maybe a lot of people coming in and out. We don't know exactly what this guy did. Probably a popular guy. And Paul knew strategically he could go there and have an audience of Gentiles. And Gentiles is just people in that day who weren't Jewish in practice, right? So these are Gentiles. Um, And so Paul preaches the gospel there at this house, probably consistently over many days. And the scriptures say many Gentiles believed. And then uh, God tells Paul in, in a vision he has, he says this in Acts eighteen nine through 11. He says, and the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed, the, he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Okay, so Paul stays a year and a half in Corinth. That's a long time for Paul when he was planting a church. And so this letter, this 1 Corinthians letter, just to give you some background, this is actually the second letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. But it's the first letter, 1 Corinthians in our Bible, the first letter. Um, We know that because in this particular letter, we'll see that he says, in my previous letter. So there had to be another letter written to this church. And that, that letter did make it in the Bible when the apostles in the early days after Jesus ascended were deciding what, what books are, should go in the Bible and what's, what's, uh, what should be part of God's word, uh, that first letter to Corinthians was lost or it didn't have wide circulation or many people didn't read it. So this is why this is called First Corinthians. But it's actually the second letter written to um, the church. Um, it's probably written from Ephesus, most historians think. And really, this, the, the reason for Paul writing this is really two main reasons. One, um, there's a, been a written report given to him with questions about the worship service, questions about spiritual gifts, some other questions. Um, so he's going to respond to that letter, but it seems like shortly after getting that letter he gets an oral report from Chloe, someone one of like the leaders in the church. Chloe um, gives an oral report. Um, to him about all these other kindful, sinf- sinful things that are going on um, that maybe the written report, they didn't want to actually reveal. They just had questions in that one. But here comes Chloe saying, hey, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening. And Paul's like, okay, this is, this is enough. I'm going to write a letter and I'm going to address it. So that's, that's the reason why Paul writes this letter. So we get this great theology and all these great teachings from this book of 1 Corinthians, all because the church was was a mess. The church was A train wreck. Okay, so let's start in verse one. We're going to work through this. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. So when he says apostle of Christ Jesus, we'll get to this later on in the book, but what Paul is, he's kind of starting to defend his apostleship. Okay, they were following other people, didn't really believe in him, so he's going to say, believe his apostleship, so he's saying, this is who I am. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then you get this, this guy named Sosthenes. He says, and my brother Sosthenes. Now here's, when you're reading Paul, when you see in an introduction, someone's name mentioned, it's important. Most people don't get mentioned in the introduction of a letter. So we have to ask as we're reading this, who's Sosthenes? Who is this guy? The only other time he's mentioned is back in Acts 18, where we just read when Paul, Acts is describing Paul's missionary journey. He's there in Corinth. So let's read about Sosthenes, Acts 18, 12 through 17. But when Galileo was pronoscial of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunals. This is after he was preaching in the synagogue, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or a vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names in your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. So he brings them to the Roman authorities saying, hey, do something about this guy. Arrest him. Put him in jail or something. He's, just, he's disrupting things. And Galio, the Roman uh, leader here, says, I, I'm not going to try this. This is this kind of this is a joke. Y'all deal with this yourself. This is, this is y'all's deal, Jewish people. Like, just, just go deal with this. And it, it embarrasses them. Like it embarrasses, there's, there's there's Romans around probably observing and they, um, it appears, get embarrassed because they don't want to be hurt. And we'll see in in this in this passage, in verse 17 there, um, the last verse of that passage, and they all see Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Galileo paid no attention to any of this. So the Jews are frustrated, they're embarrassed, they need to take it out of somebody. So they say, let the leader, take Sosthenes, our leader, come here. And they just, they beat him in public. So this happens when Paul is planting this church a few years before he writes this letter. Then he comes back writing this letter and he says, my brother Sosthenes. So most commentators put it together that this is the same guy. And evidently Paul or one of the leaders in the Corinthian church, early leaders, went and sought out Sosthenes. Obviously they saw this and heard about this and they reached out to him. They welcomed him in, probably took care of him. Obviously he lost all of his friends. He lost his title, lost his position, probably not in a good place. They welcome him in. So I think this is an important little like nugget here to see that Paul is calling this guy a brother, me brother, and probably reached out to him. So Paul's living out what he's calling um, the Corinthian church to do. Or if it wasn't Paul, it was probably a close um, person to Paul because Paul, this is the only person Paul mentions um, at the beginning of this letter. Because let's look at verse two. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, call to be saints together with all of those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, okay? The two main words I want you to see in this passage are sanctified and saints, okay? So he talks about sanctification, those who are being sanctified. And that's a past word, but it's a participle, which means that it carries... Um, influence or um, action into the future. So yes, it did happen in the past. They were sanctified to the same degree. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been sanctified. But we know sanctification, it's kind of like you are being sanctified. So you can almost read it, those being sanctified. And then he calls them saints, called to be saints together with all who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so think about what I just told you about the Corinthian church. He calls them sanctified sanctified saints. Saints. The guy who is in an ancestral relationship, you're a saint. The people who are coming getting drunk on the wine before the worship gathering, saints. Those who are following different people and being very uh, kind of stuck up and stubborn and creating factions, saints. All of those are being sanctified. And he doesn't say sinners. Hey, sinners, get your act together. I'm about to unload a lot of stuff on you. No. He says, sanctified saints. I think when we think of saint, right, it's, we kind of carry, I think, a lot of that definition over from the Catholic tradition, and we think of um, people in the history of the church who have been lifted up. We, uh, we kind of think of people who are morally superior, people who have all of their act together and have everything kind of buttoned down as a follower of Jesus. But that is not what Paul means when he says sanctified saints here. Uh, saints here just means one who is set apart for the purposes of God. So those who have been, who have faith in Jesus in Corinthians and believe in Jesus's work for them, they've been set, set, set apart for his work, right? But it doesn't mean they're morally superior to, to, to anyone, especially what we've just read and what I've just what I've told you about what is coming in this book. They are a mess. So being a saint, sanctified saint is not necessarily about behavior. Do we want to grow in our holiness? Absolutely. Do we want to grow in our obedience to to Jesus and the Word? Absolutely. But, But being a saint and being called a saint has nothing to do with behavior. It's about your standing in relationship with Jesus through His grace and His mercy, which we're going to see in a minute. This is about being united to Christ. When we're united to Christ, we have that new identity. And one of the things we'll see here in Paul, and he does this in all of his letters, he starts with the indicative, which in grammatical terms, it just means talking about who they are, uh, uh, what what has happened to them, right? He's saying you're sanctified saints. And then later on, he gets to the imperative. He's definitely going to call them to do some things in this letter and not do some things. And he's going to come strong. He's going to command some things. He's going to warn them. This is going to get heavy, but right now he's starting with the indicative, saying this is who you are. Know who you are. You're saints, and you're being sanctified. And this is good news for the Corinthians to hear right now. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, two big words here, grace and peace. Um, Grace was a standard um, greeting in the the Gentile world to say grace— Um, And peace was often put in the greetings of a Jewish letter. So he says grace and peace to cover both ends of this, to get his Jewish audience and his Gentile audience. And so these two words are huge. One of the things that Paul is doing in this letter, especially in these nine verses, he's basically laying out a table of contents. All these little things, he's going to expand on them in the future in this letter. So obviously grace and peace are two huge ideas for the Christian life, but they're for sure going to come up again in this letter. So he makes sure he says, "Grace and peace." And he knows they're going to need all the grace they can get, because he is going to lay it on them um, in this letter. that okay, he knows He knows what he's about to write, and once he sends that, he knows, so he wants to start it off with grace and peace. Okay, And so oftentimes, let's, let's talk about this word grace because it's, it's obviously so important to our faith. I don't just want to gloss over these two words, especially grace. Um, grace means that we are getting something we don't deserve. It's like just undeserved favor, right? And our faith is built on grace. The fact that we could do nothing to earn salvation and everything we get, not just our salvation. I think it's sometimes we miss grace. We just think of it as salvation. That is true. But everything we get from God is grace grace. Period. It's all grace. So when we think of grace, yes, we should think of our salvation and being united to God through, uh, reconciled to God, united Jesus through Jesus' work, through the Spirit. Absolutely. But we also should think of God's loving, empowering presence through the Spirit. If you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you right now. That's an act of grace. Um, The reality that God loves you. He loves you calls you his child. That's an act of grace. That God is with you always. It's grace. That God is for you. And that when God commands you to do something in the scriptures, he then gives you the Holy Spirit. He supplies the power and the energy for us to then go do that thing he's called us to do. What's the act of grace there? Giving us the Spirit. If we didn't have the Spirit, we would be walking by the flesh all the time, and we couldn't be obedient to the things he's called us to do all of this is grace. All of it is grace. And how that relates with peace is, is that once we're reconciled to God through grace, we can actually now have peace with him, right? God's grace initiates it, and now we have peace through God beca- with God because of his grace. And that translates horizontally to our other people. We can show grace to others because of the grace we've been, we've, we, we've been given, we've received. And then we can have peace with one another because we now have peace with God. So this idea of grace... Um, Peace coming out of grace and grace kind of informing peace. Those two things are going to come up again and again and again as Paul hits these issues throughout this book. Okay, before I read verse 4, I want you to notice Paul's tone here, right? So Paul, it's like he's biting his tongue because he knows all these things have been happening. He's like, I really want to say good things. I really want to be encouraging like I was to the Thessalonians and the Philippians talking about how much I love you and I long to be with you. You notice he doesn't say any of that in 1 Corinthians. Like He's just like, I'm I'm finding really good things to say right now about you guys. And so notice in verse 4, he's going to give thanks, but he doesn't thank God for them. He thanks uh, thanks God for the work that he's doing in them and through them. Um, Look at verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. So he's thankful for them because of the grace that God gave them. And there is verse five, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech, and all knowledge. Okay, so here again, Paul's trying to set them up. He knows what he's gonna write in the future here. He begins by wanting them to know their identity, know that they have God's grace. They're sanctified saints. God's work, God has worked in them and through them. That is all good news as a result of God's grace. But he's, he's, he's not setting him up in a negative way, but he's kind of setting him up, making sure they have a firm foundation uh, for what comes next. And then in verse 5, you get these two ideas here, speech and knowledge. And speech and knowledge are two ideas that are going to come up again and again in this, in this book. So once again, like a table of contents, he is laying out some topics that he's going to come back to. And here's the deal with Corinth. This place was known for its great orators great rhetoric like they they would have guys that they would just stand up there's nothing wrong with great order great rhetoric Paul had brilliant rhetoric but it was getting to the point where they, it didn't even matter what content it was people would just stand up and start basically showing off their oratory skills and rhetoric and have just no content at all They would just start talking to show off how awesome they were. So this knowing thing, having knowledge and having the ability to be able to speak was highly valued in the city of Corinth. So that, again, they were were being formed by the, the, the city, unfortunately, and that was coming over in the church. Now he's telling them, hey, God's giving you some gifts. Like you have some gifts and speech and knowledge. Those who were saved out of the culture and came into the church as Christians, these were gifted people. There's a lot of gifted people in Corinth, right? And so these, these people are very prideful in what they know and how they can talk. And so here he's, once again, he's going to get after their pride pretty, pretty quick. But here he's saying, you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge. He's not giving the credit to them. He's says, hey, you guys are really talented. I'm really glad we got you on our team now because you can talk really good and you know a lot of things. He's not saying that. He's saying, you were enriched. God did the work. And now you have speech and knowledge that is beneficial to the kingdom. So he's taking a shot at their pride here to say, it wasn't you, it was God, but I'm thankful that God has given you these things. So uh, speaking truth and knowing truth, this is going to come up again in a few weeks. Verse six, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Again, he's just saying here that it's been confirmed over the course of the the, the five years or so that Jesus is active and, and, and working in them. Right? It's been confirmed that you have these gifts because uh, there's, been, there's been witness and there's been confirmation. And, and, and Paul's heard things while he was there for a year and a half, but also after he's left, he's heard things about them. Then verse 7, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So he's talked about grace and peace. He's talked about this grace has been manifested through these gifts of speech and knowledge. And now he's talking back to God's grace. He's talking about how God's grace will sustain them and God's grace will forgive them of their sins because he talks about being guiltless in verse, in verse uh, 8 there, who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so, and also he talks about in the end, he wants to lift their eyes up to eternity. Talk about when, when Jesus returns So he's trying to lift their eyes up off themselves, thinking about eternity, the day when Jesus returns. So all of this is in light of Jesus returning one day. And this is really important. This idea of God's God's grace sustaining them and forgiving them is really important, again, for why Paul is writing this letter. letter. Because if they don't understand grace, if this grace isn't going to sustain them, and they don't believe they've been forgiven already by God— then what Paul is going to say is going to wreck them. And he knows that. He knows that they have to have a clear understanding of the grace of God to receive what Paul is going to say. They have to have this foundation of grace so what Paul is going to say doesn't crush them. And he knows this. Um, And this also changes for us. The, the fact that the, the, the degree that we understand God's grace and understand our identity is the degree to which we'll be able to receive critique and criticism and correction. Like if your identity is in your performance or your obedience or whether, or your work, your vocation, whether you have a boyfriend or girlfriend or want a boyfriend or girlfriend or have a husband and wife or want a husband and wife, what you look like, what kind of material things that you want and, and have and own and are, and, are, and are striving for, who you hang out with, your status. If your identity is in any of these things or anything else other than Jesus, when you are critiqued and when you're corrected, then you are not going to respond well. You're just not because your identity, those things aren't strong enough to hold up to other people saying, hey, you may wanna change this a little bit or hey, you know, I noticed this about you or you hear it from a, a, a spiritual leader like Paul is writing to the Corinthians, like you're not going to be able to receive this well. And you're probably going to respond one of two ways. First, it's just going to crush you. You hear something negative about you and you're just torn up, right? Like the, 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 the recording starts playing in your head. You're not worthy. You're not good. You're not right. You're terrible. All those things because one person said one small thing about you. Now you're just a mess, Because whatever you were looking for in your identity is not strong enough to hold up to someone's criticism. So you begin to to pull away from community. You begin to run away from other people because you don't want to get crushed again. I'm not going to leave myself exposed anymore. I'm not going to be vulnerable with anybody else because I know how it felt when I opened myself up and now I feel like I'm being attacked here. And you probably weren't being attacked. It may have just been a little critique or a little little, uh, criticism here from a brother or sister in Christ. So you're going to retreat, you're going to get crushed, and you're probably going to retreat from relationship. Or the other way you can respond is you'll defend. You'll get defensive. You'll buck up and you'll come right back at the person who's critiquing you or criticizing you and say, well, what are you talking about? What about this, 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 and this in your life? Or what about this? Or I don't care about you. You devalue their opinion. You say, I don't need to listen to them. They're not my friend. I don't need to. And then you start to get defensive. Why? Because your core, your identity has been challenged because it, as it, it isn't bent, built on Jesus and His and God's grace in your life. Because if your identity is built on God's grace, you can rest in the Father's love for you because nothing can separate you from his love. And if his love for you is the most important thing and nothing can separate you from that and the work's been finished and he holds you in his hand who, who can say anything against you that's going to crush you? Will it always hurt? Absolutely. No one loves to, loves to get correction and criticism, but it doesn't have to crush you. It doesn't have to cause dissension or defensiveness in you. You can, you can receive it because that's not a shot at your identity because your identity is over here. It's secure. Now you can talk to each other and receive those things much better because your identity is not being threatened. And once your identity is not being threatened, you can actually hear those things because we know we're all we have weaknesses, we have blind spots that we need to work on, we have areas that we need to mature in. Like there are places in 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 seasons of my life that are a mess that I need people to speak into. There are places in my heart that aren't aligned with God's um, grace and His will for our life. I know that, and I need people to say, "Hey, you know what? Uh, I saw this about you, or uh, you know, when you said that, or hey, your behavior is uh, it's not lining up with kind of what you're saying right now." So we all need to be open to those things so we can grow up in maturity. That's what relationships are given to us for. And all that can be encouragement if our identity is set on Jesus and we see that it's protected. But our problem is we like to build our identities on all these other things as the Corinthian church was doing, okay? We all need God's grace. We all need it. So kind of back to the Jerry Springer analogy here. When we're reading this book, and when these issues come up, let's not look at the Corinthian church and say, this church is a mess. They're a mess because, well, we can look at that. Let's not pretend like our lives aren't a mess as well and not say, hey, at least my life's not as bad as them because we all have those places, right? And we have places in the church as a whole that we, we need to grow in. We need to mature in. And we need to look in the mirror when we see Paul lay out these things, okay? Some of you in here maybe feel like you're, um, you feel uh, that you're not unified with the people in this body. So there's something, there's something divisive happening because you haven't forgiven someone. You're withholding forgiveness. So it's creating this division in you from, uh, with another brother or sister. And you're going to need grace to go deal with that when that comes up in this letter. You're going to need grace. You need the power of the spirit to actually go talk to that person and give that person forgiveness. We talk about selfishness. The Corinthians were very selfish. You're going to have to deal with your selfishness. You're going to need the grace to do that through his spirit. When Paul addresses that in this letter, sexual immorality, Paul's going to bring that up. There's all sorts of different sexual immorality that I'm sure we're struggling with in this room of this size. You're going to need the grace to go deal with it because none of this stuff is easy addressing or dealing with it, not running from it or acting like it doesn't exist. We need grace to face those things head on. When they're, when they're in their worship gathering, we can't really uh, connect with getting drunk on wine because we use juice. Um, unless it's a fermented juice, um, we can't get drunk. That was a Baptist joke. Y'all, y'all didn't get that. But um, like, um, like, then, then we're, not going to, we're not going to get drunk on this juice, right? But what else about our worship gathering do we come? And this is about our preferences. It's like, oh, it was a good day today because my preferences were met or we come today and we consume and say oh it was good or bad based off how the level of this or that that's the same way it's coming and having only concerned about your own needs being met and not asking first the question how do i humble myself and serve this body yeah maybe there's some there's some warts and there's some things in the church that need improvement how can i add to to value to the body and help make those things better how can I get involved and, and increase the health of those things rather than saying, ah, I didn't like that and kind of just pulling away or saying, oh, that, that just wasn't a good Sunday. They didn't really have their A game that Sunday. Uh, hopefully they, they pick it up by next week. Go, These are the kinds of things that Paul was addressing, preferences, questions about the resurrection. I'm sure maybe some theo- theological things here. So when Paul comes at the resurrection, really talking about the resurrection at the very end of the letter, are you going to have the grace to kind of check your theology according to the scripture and ask do i believe is what i believe consistent with what the bible teaches. Okay so all of those things are going to come up as we go through this and we need grace. We need his grace to be able to face those things head on and grow up in maturity. Verse 9. This is the last verse. God is faithful. It's almost like a parenthetical st- statement here saying you're not. It doesn't say that but it's basically God is faithful because you're not faithful, and, and, and none of us are truly faithful either, right? But God is faithful. By whom you were called into the fellowship of His son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul mentions Jesus' name nine times in these nine verses. It's clear what his focus is. He wants to keep the focus on Jesus and get their attention back on Jesus and the grace that they have in him, right? Like this, is, this is part of why he's writing this letter and why he's starting the way he started it. So my prayer for us, as we move into this letter, and as we kind of intro this and, and take off uh, next week, is, is that we would understand the gospel at a deeper level, number one, and, and, and fix our eyes on Jesus and His grace and all that that entails in our life, and not divorcing, "Hey, I believe in God's grace, but that doesn't really impact the way I live or the way the church functions, or how does God's grace, how does that impact? Uh, like the doctrine of the church and what we're called to be as followers of Jesus' brothers and sisters, okay? So that's the part of understanding God's grace at a deeper level. And here are two questions I wanna leave us with um, that I think are gonna come up throughout at almost every time we can ask these two questions. So I just want you to be thinking about them. First is how am I being conformed to the values of this city, of this culture? Because part of all these issues, they were being conformed more to what the city of Corinth looked like than the kingdom of God and the church were. So I think the first question for us is, how do I look like the city that we're in? And where are those, those pockets of my life that I look a lot, a lot like the people of this city and not like um, brothers and sisters in Christ, followers of Jesus? So how am I being conformed to the values of the world rather than being conformed to Jesus? Number two, and then kind of the tension point on the other side of that, how in the midst of this culture— that for the most part, it's not following Jesus. How do we intentionally love the people around us and stay connected into relationships with people who don't believe like we believe and don't think the way we think? How do we stay connected relationally with them without kind of capitulating to the culture and without kind of being shaped and formed by what everyone around us believes? And that's a tension, right? That's kind of the tension of being a missionary, of being a Christian living in this world, being ambassadors, being in the world, but not of the world. So those are kind of two questions I want us to think about and pray about as we move forward. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for um, your grace and the gospel and everything uh, that comes along with that. I love in this letter how Paul starts off with with grace and good news and that if we are in Christ, if we've placed our faith and... and, um, and believed in, in what your son has done for us and who he was, that we have a relationship with you and we're in Christ and we thank you that you remind us of that in starting this letter. I pray as we move into this letter and we get encouragement from Paul and correction from Paul and reminder of who Jesus is from Paul and what the church should be from Paul throughout this letter, I pray you would help us, give us grace, open our eyes and open our minds to be able to see your truth and I pray throughout the series that this wouldn't be just an intellectual thing week after week where we come and get some, some facts about the scriptures or facts about Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit. But, but your truth would actually work its way down into our, our hearts and our souls to change us from the inside out. That we would be a different people as individuals and a different people as a church, as Providence Road, after we get through looking at this book. Because your, your, your word's active. Your word's alive, and your spirit wants to change us through it. So I pray you would help us submit ourselves to your word and spend time in your word and think about your word. Help us. We need it. We need your grace. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.